Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Stepping Out. This is Kaz. How are you? Are you doing right? Have you had your vaccination yet? I hope so. And if not, may it drop into your text inbox very soon. So let me tell you about today's guest and she is the very adventurous Amanda Dudman. We actually got to a point where trees had fallen across the paths and um, the hut that we were expecting to get to had been washed away. Amanda is a business coach, consultant and mentor and has a plethora of experience under her belt. Oh, I love that word. Amongst other things, we talk about her coaching, resilience and her amazing treks all over the world. It was a really interesting chat and was lovely to take that tour, especially right now when we've stepped out of travelling for a while. So go on, shove some shoes on, find your path and enjoy Amanda's story. Hi Amanda, welcome to Stepping Out. Isn't it a beautiful day? How are you today? Oh, well, hi there, Kaz. Yes, it is a beautiful day. And where I'm sitting right now, I can see all the spring flowers um, rustling in the breeze a little bit. So it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Oh, they're lovely, aren't they? I just keep walking past so many fields of daffodils everywhere in people's gardens. It's just really, really lovely. And I took some pictures today of um, some blossom. I just, was there, was there ages just kind of focusing on this blossom? It was so, so nice. We, we're getting there. We're nearly in that kind of really light nights aren't we so we've got about another is it another week to go or something yes it is and um like like you i i i purposely started to be out a bit more and um like you found found some fields of daffodils just a couple of days ago and got mm. completely carried away with my um with my phone camera um and uh I'm not sure what to do with them all but it's yeah. lovely to see everything really and smell as well not just see but smell yeah oh absolutely oh we're going to talk all about walking of course but I wanted to start first of all by talking about your business if I may because you're a coach and a consultant and a mentor but can you tell me about the nature of your business and how those roles kind of play out in your work well my my business is really what I'd call in technical terms a micro business it's just me Um, but having said that the way I work is very collaboratively so there are lots of us individual coaches in and around Buckinghamshire, where I'm based, but also um, in other areas. So very much coaching is one aspect of my business, which is a one-to-one support, um, helpful performance management um, support mechanism for leaders, particularly leaders in the BCSE sector. And then beyond that, learning and development, um, another, my other part of my profession is something that is very much focused on people working in public services, perhaps perhaps in frontline or managing them. But that that part is really about collaborating with people like myself and doing things together, doing projects, um, doing interesting pieces of work for organisations around change and and challenging situations. Mm, Yeah, because it's it's managing the behaviour, isn't it, around those changes. I've worked in businesses before where we've gone through changes and it really does kind of affect the way people think and behave. And I was just, I was looking at your website, actually. I love the way you've structured it. And I was just reading through a few of the pages and I already kind of feel motivated and empowered by the sort of energy that's bouncing off the screen there from from the kind of quotes you've put. And you've got a lovely blog on there. And one picture that really caught my eye was of a mug and it said, my brain has too many tabs open, <laughs> which I just love. And the post was about resilience and how reaching out for help is all part of that. And um, on there, you've got a quote and it says, 
Resilience is accepting your new reality, even if it's less good than the one you had before. You can fight it, you can scream about what you've lost, or you can accept that and try to put together something that's good. Are you finding that the times that we've been living in has meant you're coaching more around resilience to support people's mental health? Very much so. I think you've absolutely nailed it there. Um, and you've, you've noticed that a lot of what, I, what I'm posting is around resilience. Um, and, and coaching is perfect for resilience. But even um, teams uh, and people learning through, through virtual platforms, um, I would say the majority of my work over the past 12 months has been about resilience and helping people with their personal resilience, mm. but also teams, organizations um because it's been really really hard for people in so so many ways and uh, a way of framing people's recovery as we perhaps hopefully move out of um what's happening to us as we go forward this year is to learn more about how to be more resilient because resilient is about asking for help you're absolutely right but it's also about um having more confidence and it's also about finding ways to take you back up your slope, if you like, um, towards more positive outcomes for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And it is about asking for help as well. And I think, you know, I've spoken to a few people about this recently, about the importance of, of ensuring that you do have that support network around you. So I guess your business is is quite focused on that at the moment, isn't it? Making sure that people are feel that they're able to call out for help and to ask for support. I agree with you. And um, this is this is based on science and evidence. We absolutely know that asking for help is one of the pillars of resilience. But also, interestingly, giving help and support. And giving help and support can be something very, very simple. It could be a mutual exchange of listening. It could just be making someone a cup of tea right through to kind of more structured form of support. So it is about giving and receiving support. And it's really, really important to build those things into the way we are living and working daily, you know, uh, you know, the bigger picture is our well-being here, isn't it? Mm. And I think um, finding little ways to ask and give support on our daily on a daily basis is something that really, really works. And it's easy, isn't it? I mean, especially because we've all been locked down and not to see people physically is one reason why people might not speak to people as much. But I mean, I've, I've discovered I started doing this probably to the annoyance of most of my friends, recording WhatsApp messages and just letting it go rather than typing the message, actually having that voice there. And I think that gives you the ability to, first of all, voice what you want to say, actually say the words, but also allow people to do that back. So you're almost having a conversation, not necessarily disturbing them at that particular moment but they can listen back to that message and it's kind of caught on and it's really really nice because it it has gone really really quiet hasn't it so you must be talking a lot virtually I'm assuming with all of these restrictions that we've got in place but you must be meeting a lot of people that are struggling their way through if they're working from home how to integrate them into the business as well is that happening? Yes, it is. Um, and um, quite recently, I worked with a team that was new, that had never met each other because they all started in March last year, as lockdown started. They'd never met, but they're expected to work as a team. And um, the challenges for them in particular, when they were all just, they're all dispersed around the county of Buckinghamshire, was, was just immense. And I think sometimes um, they're a good example of people who saved up a lot of things and never really let it all out mm. for a long, long time. And so this idea of um, kind of being able to talk and not have the silence, 
they were silent for too long. So they got very much got on with the tasks. We're in lockdown, we have to do things under pressure. But they never really talked or connected about their resilience or their well-being or what was really impacting on them. Because mm, you're not really that self-assured when you start a new job either, are you? You know, you kind of you're looking for those uh the, uh, maybe the body language or looking to sit in meetings to have those chats by the coffee machine and if those things are not happening then you don't have any of those kind of human elements coming in but you talk about yourself as well on on your website you say I'm a positive optimist and I love learning I'm self-assured and personally accountable for what I do I love what I do and I aim to pass this attitude on what I'd like to know is have you always felt this way and how did you develop yourself to be where you are now in terms of your super positive attitude well, that's a big question, mm. isn't it? I mean, have I always been this way? I think, yes, mostly. Um, I was brought up in an environment with a very big family where I was very much encouraged to get on with things and be independent. And I was um, born in an age where you could go out of the house on a Saturday morning and go shout to your parents, bye, I'm going to go and play <laughs> with my friend and then not come back until it was dark. Oh, yeah. Those were the so, days. Those were the days. Um, and uh, I was very much into sport and hobbies and you know my parents would drop me off and I'd go horse riding or playing netball as a child and I left home at 18 and thoroughly enjoyed university and you know moved to the other side of the country so I've, I've kind of always had that um, but I think realizing you have that and being self-aware and understanding that you have that um, it is more of a sort of an adult learning journey. Mm. Um, and so I suppose over the past 20, 30 years, I'd say I could pinpoint um, times in my life where I sought to learn or do things, make changes um, where I could I could do, you know, meet the purpose that was sort of developed for me um, as I as I grew older. Um, doing more things that really focus more and more on what I like to do. Um, so, yes, where I am now is that, you you know, you've probably read a really important part of my website there, mm. um, being positive and being an optimist. And that's not denying reality. It's not saying things are bad, but it's actually saying things are very bad, but we can we can do things as human beings, which enable us to manage them, get through them, um, you know, not not move away from them, but embrace them and find ways to actually live a more healthy, purposeful life. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, you mentioned there about kind of growing into your roles. So what kind of things did you do before? And did you sort of see a theme running through these jobs that you had where you thought, you know, actually, that's kind of where I want to be going. I'm realising that by my very nature, I'm helping people or, or giving out these positive vibes. So was it, you said you grew into it, was that through working? Was that, were you always doing this kind of role, but in a different way? Uh, not at all. I think the two themes that I would pick out is number one, doing what um, an AA man once said to me when I'd broken down in this big Land Rover, taking playgroup equipment around the county he said you're paid to play aren't you and I suddenly thought yes I am so one of the things for me has always been only do something you enjoy and if you don't enjoy it change do something else so find things that give you purpose that that match what you like to do um, and the other theme for me is variety I have done very many different things in different sectors and different settings um, and all of those are kind of an eclectic mix of experiences that bring me to where I am now. What I'd say underpins that, if you like, is 
um, always learning. So I, I remember waking up one day in a job, which I was really, really enjoying and thinking, I'm doing a lot of training, but I, I haven't, you know, and people are telling me, go and train these people. And I thought, I'm not a trainer. <laughs> um, perhaps I should do something about that. So I enrolled um, on a course and did a training qualification. Um, so, you know, and that's been another theme. If, if you think you, you are something or want to be something, then go and find out about it mm. and go and get qualified, go and do the learning and go and do that thing that that enables you to be really good yeah and I I never I always think you can never do enough training courses you know I I in the past have thought because I'm a bit of a serial learner myself and I always think oh you know come on find a track stop doing this stop doing the other but actually it all seems to come to a point you'll always learn what you're interested in and I'm listening to a book at the moment which is brilliant i don't know if you've read it it's um by a guy called mihai chick sent i don't know if you've you've heard of him don't try saying that after a couple of beers but it's called flow and i know um that i'm sure that you've tapped into this during your walking which we'll go into but he talks about doing exactly what you've just said you know making sure that what you do is something that you enjoy and that you can lose yourself in and something where the time passes without you knowing you're not clock watching but also he talks about feedback and you'll enjoy the things where you get good feedback from them i know I kind of get quite involved in I like editing and things like that I get really into that mode and walking obviously is a big one for me I kind of feel like it's a bit of a meditation doing these things and the time just disappears so is that where you found yourself that you thought well you know this is sitting really well with me and and I'm finding my flow now and is that also something that you aim to let others achieve with your work um, I think it's really interesting you talk about flow because I really do associate with flow um, in both the things you do. One is getting sort of almost carried away to the point of forgetting time when I'm really enjoying something. Um, and when you're training people, you actually have to do the opposite. You have to manage time. So that that's interesting. Mm. But also, um, I very much do experience flow when I walk um, and um, understanding Mikhaili Csikszentmihalyi's work um, has informed me almost purposefully um, sometimes when I do things um, remembering about it because we can get so bound up again a lot of people particularly at the moment going back to resilience we can get so bound up in all the things that are wrong and bad and how difficult things are at the moment lots of people have you know a lot of difficult times at the moment and actually this state of flow is is an absolutely amazing thing to be you know to imagine Mm. that you could be somewhere that just um, helps you be completely congruent and in the moment where you can forget time, where you can just do something you're immersed in and thoroughly enjoy and not even bother and worry about, you know, when it, when it has to end. So, yes, perhaps I'm sort of informed looking backwards at that rather than thinking at the time, gosh, that's an interesting thing. I ought to try it. But it's definitely there. Oh, it's so amazing when you start to kind of think about it, like you say, if you don't just do it and forget about it you think well that's the thing that I really love you know people might do it via gardening or I don't know DIY whatever it is you get into but also in your everyday work because that's the thing that people do the most if they're working um, generally so yeah it's a really important part I think of trying to find what that looks like for you and you must experience an incredible amount of diversity in your work as well with different people you know behaving in different ways what has this meant to your everyday outlook on people in general? Because you've got a lot of experience working with people on a daily basis. 
Um, well, people, people's behaviour is um, informed by, by a lot of things. So one of the things that I'm very aware of is that people behave as they do for, for many different reasons. And how I receive that um, and, and what I do about that um, is, is something to manage, really. Uh, because as soon as I work with people, and it's a tricky subject, it can be very challenging for people. Yeah. And one of the things I sometimes do when I'm with people in a learning environment is I will come into the present moment with people and I'll say, this is really hard, isn't it? Because I think part of behaviours and challenging behaviours or sort of the things that we find difficult, you know, trigger us to say and to do all sorts of things. And some people, particularly when they're finding it really difficult to be resilient about that, they want to actually bat it away and push it away and not deal with it. Um, whereas I think when we experience behaviour in somebody else, we we need to try and accept that really and say, well, we are where we are. You feel what you feel. You see what you see. You hear what you hear. And that is sometimes very helpful for people because you're actually acknowledging this is how you feel right now. But, but you know, a positive optimist says it's not forever. Mm. You know, you just haven't got there yet. That very important word in a sentence when you're encouraging somebody. No, you haven't got there today, but you just haven't got there yet. So, you know, helping people in those situations involves helping people, what I would call, reframe their, their thinking and their feelings. Yeah, totally. And it's just, it's so important, isn't it, for people to be heard. I think, especially the culture in this country, I've heard this a lot, you know, people, oh, I didn't want to say anything, I'm okay, you know, just glossing over things, let's just get on with it, other people have got it worse, let's just be grateful. You know, you hear these things over and over again, but I think until you can sit down and say, well, look, it's okay to air your problems, it's okay to um, talk about where you are and what issues and challenges you're facing and and I'm the person to do that and your work sounds so worthwhile and obviously you help a tremendous amount of people but the other reason I want to talk to you as well is that you're also an avid walker as we mentioned and that I discovered when we studied together for a while and you've done so many cool adventures that quite literally we'd be here for a couple of days chewing those over if we covered them all off but I want to start if I can with your very first walk when you were 17 so can you tell me what that was and did that send you on a path of this sort of discovery and adventure life that you've created you picked a really really um good example yes when I was 17 there was an opportunity at school on uh, a morning we had an assembly every morning and the older you get at school, in my school, which is a grammar school, the, the, the nearer you are to the back. And you can't really hear. But the head teacher stood up and said, right, we've got some money, a bursary for two people in the sixth form if they want to go on this outward bound course. And I thought my ears pricked up because on and off, as for a few years as a teenager, um, you know, I'd got into canoeing. I got into little bits of walking and adventure and climbing through youth club activities. And my ears pricked up and I thought, so I, I was very brave. I went and actually knocked on the staff room door and said I was interested and I was handed this form and I applied and I thought well I didn't even tell my parents but I applied for this bursary and got it and I went on a three-week outward bound course to Wales on at an outward bound centre for girls and the the last week was basically a four-day expedition which was walking and camping in mid-Wales and I look back at it now and think, wow, that was a very transformation experience because I really got the bug. I really, really genuinely thought, I really like this. This is wonderful. And it wasn't just about the environment and nature and being in the mountains. It was actually about, you know, 
the old cliche stuff about I was with a group of girls and we worked as a team and we camped and we had fun yeah. and we had to cook for girls. And it's all the disasters and the cold and getting wet and all the things you just think are terrible. But at the end of the day, you go, you, you know, you finish and you go back and you say, that was awesome. You know, that was the best experience of my life. Um, so, yes, it did give me a bug. And I continued that into forever and ever and ever really I'm still walking still doing treks yeah yeah oh that sounds lovely and I remember those when I was younger as well I used to go away with my school friend on these adventure holidays and one of our schools used to take us away every year and I've just will never forget those I mean the memories are there and things pop up all the time and I think oh yeah we did that there didn't we and that carried on throughout my life as well so it's really lovely for kids to do that and you were brought up in Durham weren't you and there's that lovely heritage coastal walk there and I'm sure loads of others did you appreciate those walks when you were younger there no <laughs> this is the bizarre thing you know actually we we had a tradition as a family which was after sunday lunch we all went out for a walk in the local woods but to actually appreciate your environment sometimes you have to come away from it don't you mm. so at the time didn't appreciate it at all you know apart from some walks to the woods but now i can think of um time i've spent going back to northumberland and the cheviots and teasdale and really appreciating Uh, that environment and perhaps looking at it with fresh eyes yeah yeah because often when when we're kids we just kind of take our environment for granted and I moved away from this area where I am um, for quite a long time actually and then when I moved back I thought oh that's incredible and I remember all the walks we used to go on as kids but you don't really just get dragged out don't you often when you're young and uh, and now I look and I think I feel super lucky to actually live in this area so it's um it's really lovely but I think the reason I found out about your love of walking as well was I think you made a comment about your love of fungi (laughs) so tell me about that because they are amazing and I just I love taking photographs of these but you you particularly love them don't you so tell me about that well, I do. I actually have to make a confession. I like lichen as well. So oh, I'm very right, nervy. Okay. Um, so some of the places I walk, if you walk in the dales, it's it's all, and, and the lakes, which, is, you know, I, I love walking both the dales and the lakes. They're all little fields, aren't they, with, with dry stone walls. And these dry stone walls and sort of the environment around them is full of mosses and lichens and colours. And it's the minutiae and detail in nature, even at a time of winter, you know, when there's nothing else out where you see all these things. And uh, for me, fungi is very special simply because they are these they are the amazing life givers. Fungi have this whole underground communication system that's that kind of in the way that they um they grow and proliferate. So they have their own sort of mesh of communication but what you see above the surface is absolutely amazing in terms of the shapes as well Um, and I've got to the point where I really want to crack which ones I can eat which ones I can't so um, you know but I do seek them out I do seek them out um, and take photos of them bizarrely because I think also the patterns and the patterns in nature that you see in fungi and how they grow are just beautiful oh completely incredible and what's lovely about them I think is that they are out to play in a time of year which isn't particularly prolific with other stuff so it's a very sort of damp time of year isn't it and suddenly you see all these yeah. colorful amazing wiggly soft or puffball or whatever they are and it's finding out about them and there's all sorts of different varieties that I just find amazing and you find them together as well so next to each other you'll find two completely different varieties it is they are very very special aren't they 
They are, and, and that's very true. I remember um, going in October when everything really had died with a, sort of, we had that little gap in October where we could go away and I went away for a few days with a friend. And, and she got really sick of me because I kept finding fungi and there was like loads of different ones all together all around a tree. And they were those lovely little traditional mushroom shapes, but then there was the big dish shaped ones mm. and they, they kind of all went up this tree. And I was standing there and she kind of had to get me out of a bit of a trance, to be honest. Um, and I took all these photos and, you know, and then, you know, and then we move on. But I kind of have my own little look back then, you know, on my own and look back at all my photos of fungi. And I've actually bought a book now. Oh, right. Um, so I didn't start learning the names mm. properly. So it's, it's, a, it's a process of learning too still. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to your adventures then, because... You have done so many treks. I'm in awe of them. You've been to like, right, so let me just list a few. Pico Mountain Range in northern Spain, Western Ghats in India, uh, Larapinta Track in Australia, amongst loads of others. How did you go about organising these treks? Because these aren't just a kind of jaunt down the road, are they? They involve a significant investment in time and money organisation, don't they? So how did you, how did you start to organise those for yourself? Well, I think there's, there's, there's two things there. One is that some I deliberately thought I want to go walking there. So, so I made a decision to research, find out, you know, you get a map, you get a book, um, you look on websites and find out who's doing it. And you, I, made a decision, I made a decision with some of those that then I would join a group and, um, and do it. Other, other decisions, such as walking in Nepal. I was living in Nepal at the time and thought I can't leave Nepal without doing a trek. And actually, you just do the research, you work out where you are and what you need to do. And some of it's more detailed because you have to take into account the country you're in and what the country requires. And others, it's just factoring in into a longer trip. So I do travel um, every winter. Obviously, with COVID, I haven't been able to. So wherever I go in the world, I will look at the place and say, where can I do a trek? And I just do lots of research and I factor somehow into my trip, if you like, a walk somewhere. Yeah. And it's really refreshing listening to you because there'll be people listening to this saying, you know, she's a woman and she's just joined this group and off she's gone on her own and all that kind of thing. And it's important to, um, I think, bring that up because it isn't impossible to go and join groups on these things. There are so many of these organisations that that run these trips isn't there so and once you're signed up and on there's a huge amount of support out there to be able to do that so that for you must have been you know obviously the first one you did right I'm off that's it every winter I'm going to do this is that how it kind of happened did you do one and then you said right I'm going to make this part of my life now I think I think it happened before then because I again I've I've always walked and I I kind of walk for walking sake really it is my hobby so um, and I also have done quite a lot of mountain leadership training and volunteering with the Edinburgh's Award so the experience of kind of getting really settled and comfortable in this country in the UK when I say this country I mean Wales Scotland um, UK um, made me realise that actually you know if you can if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. You're just kind of scaling it up or scaling it in a different way. Um, so some of it was really just saying, well, if I can walk up quite a difficult mountain in Scotland, like Ben McDewey, then actually I can walk in some of these other terrains and other mountains and other places. And so it really kind of gave me the confidence and motivation to do that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes starting off with being in a group is really helpful because you can be in a group where you can still be self-sufficient or you can pay 
tons of money and get even people that will transport your bags to mm. the next place if, if you really just want to be really really taken care of um really well um so you're absolutely right there's loads of choices out there and um there's no reason why you can't even go on a, a women only um walk if you want to so as long as you've got you understand what you're doing um most companies if you go with a company will give you kit lists and what to expect and are, are generally very good at helping helping you manage that sort of gap or the step you need to take to kind of just think oh yes I can do something a little bit more challenging yeah I mean really they do take care of you and they understand that people might never have done it before um there's one particular I've booked a trip through a really lovely outfit actually called much better adventures and they're great because they describe everything that you're going to expect you know so if anybody out there is thinking about doing an adventure and thinking oh, I do not know where to start I'm not sponsored by them or anything by the way <laughs> but it's just nice to know there's just so many people out there that will give you some help and you can call them up and say look I'm, I'm traveling on my own I don't really know how this is going to go can you give me some advice they're used to this so that's really good but I don't want to leave the fact that you lived in Nepal so we need to talk about that how on earth did you live in Nepal and of course you trekked there as well but but what brought you there um I decided that I wanted to do some some more learning um and so I decided to do my teaching English as a second or other language training and that means if you do the TESOL certificate, then you you generally need to do it in another country. So I decided, where do I want to go in the world? What would be interesting? And I thought I'd quite like to go to Kathmandu. Wow. So I researched it and found I could study and live in Kathmandu. I could take this qualification. It meant living there for quite a while because you have to do 100 hours of teaching. And it was all teaching in different schools. And I also spent a bit of time uh, working in an orphanage outside Kathmandu in the Kathmandu Valley. And of course, after a while, you kind of think, right, OK, I cannot leave this country without doing a trek. So right at the very end of my um, four months in living in Kathmandu, I organised a tea house trek, which was self-managed. Uh, that was a self-managed trek. I think there was a group. Oh, wow. That sounds incredible. So you were living and working with the people there and, and teaching them English. That must have been so rewarding. It was a very, very wonderful experience, you know, living and being able to uh, immerse yourself in the culture, learning, um, doing something purposeful and actually just being in um, a place where, you know, it was just so, so, so different, a very poor country, you know, the 10th poorest in the world uh, with lots of challenges and problems, but being able to immerse yourself in the culture and the language and the life of, of another country was absolutely fantastic yeah it makes such a difference doesn't it I mean there's some amazing places and I've been to Morocco a couple of times and I have my eye on the Atlas Mountains as they look just fab but you've cited uh is it Jebel Tukbal you did Yes, that's right. Yes. So Mount Tukkal, Jebel Tukkal, is the highest point in North Africa and it's in the Atlas Mountains. Um, and that was a, a trek I did um, a few years ago now. Um, and it was hut to hut walking. So each day you um, you acclimatise because it's quite high, a bit like the Himalaya as well. You know, you go high and you sleep low and eventually the, the top point is summiting and it's one of those... Um, 3am start so you get there for sunrise so by the time you come down you're not in the heat of the day 
Um, but summiting Jebel Tutkal was um, amazing because it was very clear. So you can see the Atlas Mountains going one way into the Sahara. And if you look the other way, you can see right down into the plains to Morocco and you can see to the Mediterranean. So it was, it's pretty high. It's over um, 4,000 metres high. So good times. Very challenging in a very particular way. So people look at things like this and they think, I could never do that. And I would say, well, Tukal's one of those mountains where actually if you just pace yourself and you do the finish high and sleep low, the mountain itself looks really hard, but it's not. It's not technically difficult. Okay, so if you can get your head around, your mindset around the fact that the biggest challenge is going to be your legs and have a bit of staying power, actually you will make it to the top. And what was the weather like there? Was it really hot when you went there or did you go at a time of year that wasn't so bad? I went in September, so it wasn't so bad. Mm. But so you had cold nights, um, but you had hot days still in September. Yeah, which is which is good, isn't it? Because, you know, not only have you done the trek, but you've also done it in X temperature. So it's quite nice to go to different places and experience, like you say, the culture and the language, but also the weather, the different terrain. It really does mix it up for us, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, um, you know, the terrain in um, the Atlas is very different to the terrain in the Himalaya uh, because you're going through different um, zones in the Himalaya where you start at quite um, temperate zones, but you go through sort of a rainforest zone and then you go into a much barer sort of sparse zone until you ride really, really high. Um, and there's not much, there's not much there really, you know, so flora and fauna disappears after a while. Yeah. Um, the Atlas is very bare in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And um, one particular adventure that caught my eye was the trip you did to Mount Aspiring National Park in New Zealand, which was a hut to hut walk. And you had some adverse weather talking about weather there, didn't you? Which sounded pretty exciting, but a bit scary. So what happened there? Well, you know, you go to a place like New Zealand and I, I went in January and you're going for the best weather, aren't you? You think you are. Yeah. Um, and so you set out with good intention. It was only a four day work, walk on the route burn track, um, but it was a hut to hut walk. And um, the hut, you can't, you couldn't at that time book. So you kind of had to turn up at the hut and you had to have a tent in case you had to camp outside. Um, but the weather every day was just, it was just pouring with rain. And some of the track, a lot of the track is through, through sort of what I call rainforest and you buy rivers and these rivers were filling up and you're just thinking it's fine. You know, we're going to get to the hut, it'll be dry. And then the following day you set out, it's raining the third day. Um, we actually got to a point where trees had fallen across the paths and um, the hut that we were expecting to get to um, had just been wrecked by the by floods. The, the, the river had flooded um, and the hut had been washed away. And at that point you say, no, that's it, turn around. <laughs> we, are, we are going back. Um, so that was that was a very interesting one because it's basically we turned around and, and retraced our step. Oh, wow. Yeah, you always need a few of those just kind of wake you up and go, uh, you know, just be Yeah, and actually, you know, walking endlessly in um, rain for several days. Okay, you know, I think when I was younger, probably you just kind of take the hit. But I just think as I've got older, I go, no, I'm not so keen on that now. I'll take all the weather you give me. But, you know, several days, day after day, it gets a bit demoralizing. And then not enjoyable anymore, is it? And you have to kind of weigh it up, I guess, don't you? Yeah. I mean, it must be such a sort of pleasure to clock up all these miles and experiences. But 
How do you feel deep within yourself when you walk and what drives you to sort of instigate these adventures? Do you book one off the back of the last one or is there something that comes up in you that says, right, that's it, I'm going to have to book something. Obviously, we've been locked down lately, but if, are you, do you have this burning desire to book something? How do you, do you feel about that? Yeah, I do. I would call it, a, I think that's a really good way of describing it, a burning desire. You know, I haven't been able, because I travel. So, so I, you know, walking is, is, is something I do all the time everywhere. Right now, I have a burning desire to go to somewhere like the Lake District or the Peak District mm-hmm. and just get out for a few days and just go, you know, to Lakeland, something like that. Go to Buttermere or somewhere mm. beautiful um, and just do some hill walking. But also I do travel. I travel every winter. And so I do have that burning sensation of, goodness me where am I going to go what am I going to do you know how can I um, start planning this and I always go somewhere new when I travel so um, not always most of the time I would say so it's like where could I go to next what could I go to do that would incorporate somewhere where I could walk there's just so many places as well I mean I wonder if anybody would ever cover them in their lifetime you always discover new things and like I said you know there's so many different companies doing different things and often you get these um you mentioned kayaking as well there like kayaking walking running you know those kind of things they put them all together in adventures so they're becoming quite popular now so there's always something there's another thing and another thing and almost like uh, you know oh I'm spoiled for choice the menus out there and you know how do you go about saying right okay is it normally just walking or do you try and cover different things when you go on these holidays um, if it's in the UK, it's normally just walking. Um, and I don't book companies. I just go somewhere and stay, stay in a hostel or um, a B&B or something, or book a cottage, something like that. And I just base myself somewhere and I go walking. Mm. Um, so, so in this country, it's very much find somewhere to stay um, and do some walking. Um, abroad, there's a little bit more to think of. Um, uh, I, again, I, I, I focus on where do I want to walk and where could I walk? Um, so the last um, trek I did, I went to New Zealand a couple of years ago um, and I actually wanted to horse ride as well. So that gave me a double challenge. I thought, well, if I go to New Zealand, where can I horse ride and where can I walk? And so I chose um, the South Island because that's where I was visiting. And I thought, well, let's look it up. So I bought, a, bought my Lonely Planet, looked at different options um, and figured, how I could put those two things together Um, and I ended up doing um, some walking on the Abel Tasman coastal track and then going right over to the very western side of New Zealand and staying in a place called Kuponga um, where I could do horse riding and go do some horse riding trekking as well. Mm, I bet that was really liberating and I know what you mean about books I always think if I want to go somewhere, I just buy the book. And then once you've bought the book and you've read you've read the book or read parts of the book, you think, right, well, I've got to go now. I've got the book. That's it. That's the sort of thing that instigates it for me. Um, you mentioned earlier about the Duke of Edinburgh uh, Award and that you're also a coach and assessor. And I've spoken to other people a lot about the value of that award and long may it continue. And I really hope my kids can manage to get involved in that as well. What is it for you that makes that such a special thing to be part of? I think it's because it enables young people, whoever they are, regardless of um, their income, their education, their location, participating in something that um, addresses um, their personal and social development. 
And it does it in that very leveling setting, partly through the outdoors. Duke of Edinburgh's award is much more than the outdoors bit. I've just been the, the bit where they do their treks and expeditions. Yeah. But Duke of Edinburgh's award is a wonderful personal development opportunity for young people uh, because it involves um, service, it involves volunteering, it involves learning skills. All those things that are, for me, the golden nuggets of helping the whole rounded development of a young person outside their formal education. Yeah. And then meeting other young people. You know, if you do your gold expedition, you have to go on a residential setting with people you do not know. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. That you're going to go and make brand new friends outside all your settings and you're going to go and stay away from home and you're going to do all these amazing things with young people you've never met who want to do this with you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't get the opportunity to do that when I was younger, but I did, like I said, did adventure holidays and meeting people that I didn't know on these holidays, I think was great. And I love doing that now. I just love going away and finding people that I've never met and talking to them because everybody's different and you're not in your little clique of friends. Although it's nice to do it with friends as well, obviously. I remember going to South Africa um, and meeting, I think there was one person from every country on that trip. It was crazy. And um, But that that was great and it was a real catalyst to make me want to do it again. But what was it that got you involved in the Duke of Edinburgh? Was it that you wanted to give something back? Um, did you kind of fall into it through somebody else? How did that come about? Oh, it came about because I was doing uh, my mountain leader training. And if you do your mountain leader training, then it's really important that you are able to practice. And so volunteering enabled me to have practice with groups and group supervision. So it, it kind of was a bit like having a bit of synergy. I want to do my mountain leader training. I want to get lots and lots of practice. Um, so go into an environment where you are leading other people and helping other people do that. And literally, I just walked into the nearest outdoor centre for young people where I lived and said, hello, I'm doing mountain leader training. Would you like a volunteer? And they bit my hand. I bet they did. Uh, Yeah, because I'll tell you why. Because even today, um, there's more men than women that kind of they need strong women, female role models for young women who do Duke of Edinburgh's award. So what really, really struck me and kind of nailed it for me was the fact that I was, for the first year, I was the only female leader. Um, and obviously that changed. But, for, you know, it's really important for lots of reasons, for safeguarding, for young women, uh, having that environment mm. where they can see someone who, who can do it, um, all of those things. Um, so it kind of developed from there, really. Yeah, and, and looking at you as a role model as well is really important, I think, for, for young girls. And, I mean, round here, I think we must be on the route, one of the routes, because I do see, and thankfully I do see a lot of girl groups going around, but yeah, it's super important that that they get involved with that. That's absolutely brilliant. And you must see the, well, you must get the reward, but you must also see the reward coming through the kids as well and how much they learn from it. Have you ever been tempted to sort of transfer that into your business coaching life as well? Or has it automatically crept in with your coaching style? I think my coaching style is, is, is something different and separate. But I think if I reverse that and look at it the other way, I think if you have those skills, which a coach needs or a mentor needs or a therapist, any, anybody in a helping situation, then you can use those skills in other settings. So I would say it's probably the reverse, that, that you transfer into these settings with other people sitting on a hill um, and it's getting dark 
and people are a bit demoralized and all the girls are going i wish i had my hair dry whatever they're doing you know but we're in the middle of nowhere and you just think well actually what you're doing is you're using those listening and questioning skills and support skills to actually help them process and make sense of things and um, learn and enjoy what they're doing yeah yeah completely oh it just sounds brilliant i mean you've obviously got loads going on with your business and, and with Duke of Edinburgh as well but what's your routine because you must be really busy doing all of those things and obviously you have your lovely trips that you go on but what's your routine on a daily basis and how do you make time for you um mentally as well and your just general exercise um so my routine is to do certain things during the day not at a set time where i'm doing something for myself and outside of that every day is different so i might be doing a webinar and training people. I might be having a coaching session, um, maybe going out for a walk. So I would say I have a life work blended balance, um, which is different every day, but it does involve at some point doing things where um, even if it's for a short time, perhaps I'm in the garden, particularly in the summer if it's nice, I'll sit in the garden and work rather than sit inside. I'll go for a walk somewhere, particularly during lockdown, I've just walked out of my front mm-hmm. front door and gone somewhere. Yeah, just lovely to get out there, isn't it? In the fresh air and, and find some more pathways and things like that to get into. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, we can get very, very busy in our lives and um, really enjoy that part of it. And lockdown has been brilliant for walking and people have had possibly more time where they've been working at home because they haven't had to drive into the office. But it's just... I think it's permeated people's lives a bit more and I'm hearing more and more people say, oh, I'm, I'm going to carry this on. You know, I've started running and it's brilliant and I'm going to carry that on as well. And walking has meant that I've discovered these paths I didn't know anything about. So it's um, it's been brilliant for people generally, as, as we've talked about before on here. Um, so you are obviously a mentor as well and you mentor people in your in your daily business. Do you have mentors yourself? Because I love this subject and I think we talked earlier about people asking for help and communicating, especially at the moment. Is this something that you buy into? Do you have your own mentors? Do you Are they friends of yours? Do you select other business people within your kind of environment that you work in to be your mentors? How does that work for you? I think that, that's a really interesting question because mentoring is is something which is about helping and guiding people and using your experience to help people kind of do something better or change change something really. And I think particularly um, business and enterprise mentoring, which you know, I've been in, in immersed, immersed in in a number of ways for a long time now, um, is really, really helpful for people like myself who are kind of the sole, you know, the, 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 the sole CEO in your own company and that's it. And I think um, there's a difference between formal mentoring where you might go out and say, um, I really would like you to be my mentor and please can we meet regularly and I'm going to talk to you about, you know, my business and what I'm doing and or whatever it is or my, you know, my work. And then there's what I would call informal mentors, people that we know are in our sort of circle of influence and circle of concern, who are people that we will go to sort of more informally on an ad hoc basis and go, could, could we just have a chat a couple of times about this? So maybe maybe it's less formal. And I guess where I am at the moment, it, it's more of that, um, where there are just people in my circle of influence and circle of concern where 
I will from time to time go, oh, can we have a few conversations about this? I'm just trying to figure something out. And if we go back to coaching, because there's an overlap between mentoring and coaching, even though there's some differences, um, I have on and off been supervised as a coach. And I think that's also a form of mentoring where somebody who, again, has that experience and that insight, but is outside what you do, not there with your day to day, but can just kind of offer that outside view and that outside support. Mm. Yeah, and running your own business as well is it can be a bit of a lonely thing, can't it really, when it's just you yourself and you making all the decisions. And whilst it's nice to have that autonomy and to be able to make those decisions, sometimes without somebody else to bounce off, it can become, um, I don't know if the word is limiting, but you can really benefit from from bouncing ideas around and you know possibly brainstorming and that kind of thing so it's always really good and that's obviously how we met was through studying therapy and and as a therapist you have um, a supervisor forever you know if there's things to take to them and that's quite beneficial because you are again you would be working on your own possibly a lot of the time so it's it's really good so okay the stepping out question then that I need to ask you Amanda um, yes. As we're talking all about, it's brilliant walking, how great it is for us. If you could walk with anyone here or passed on, famous or not, who would that be? Where would you walk and what would you ask them? Right. So the person I would walk with is Alfred Wainwright. Mm -hmm. And I would walk with him above Buttermere and I would go up with him onto Haystacks and I would walk with him to Innominate Tarn. And Innominate Tarn is actually where his ashes are scattered. And I would ask Alfred Wainwright all about the lakes and the Lake District and the views and where we are. Because for me, he was the person who has never been equaled before or since. But if you like, um, wrote these series of books, which are for me, love letters about the Lake District and sum up for me everything about walking, about nature, about views, um, about the environment that you're in, um, about nighttime and daytime. That's kind of what he calls it, um, the Lakeland, when we walk enslaves our minds forever. And I would love to have one of those lovely, circuitous, convoluted conversations with this man who just wrote this amazing love letter over decades with beautiful drawings about walking. Oh, that sounds absolutely lovely. And I get the impression that the Lake District has a very special place in your heart. Yes, it does. For some reason, if, if somebody ever says to me, Where's your favourite place to walk in England? I would say the Lake District. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And um, and if somebody is going, where's that? It's in the northwest of England. It's a national park. It's now a heritage a place for heritage. And everybody who walks in their lifetime should go to the lakes and go and have a walk somewhere. Yeah, it's completely stunning. I mean, the views are unsurpassed. It is amazing, isn't it? I remember we didn't go there very long ago, actually. It was last year when we had that sort of period of time where we could just about go away and then before we got all locked down again. And the views coming back from there, back home, were just... I mean, my mouth was open the whole time. It was the best view, I think, possibly I've ever had. It was incredible. So if you're listening to this and you haven't been then definitely go and do that and go Definitely. For a walk and there are certain views which I would say 
sort of really helped me come back to good associated positive states in a busy day that if I can just recall a place with a view one of those things for me and I can I can even even now I'm talking to you I can think of a place where I stand and, and can look right down Lake, Lake Windermere above Ambleside mm. um, upon Loughrigg and it's one of those views that's imprinted in my brain and um, I can become very associated with very positive feelings when I think of that place and can visualize what that looks like and I carry that around with me always oh that's lovely just have that in your pocket just knowing you can pull it out at any moment because we climbed cat bells as well and that had an incredible view and I think that's nice isn't it because it's almost like a form of meditation you can pick it out and think about it and like you said it conjures up those feelings that you had when you were there and that's all really lovely positive feedback as well isn't it so so what's the future for you now because obviously maybe it's going to the Lake District but when some sort of sense of normality comes back and possibly trips are back on the menu um, are you going to stick in this country do you think for for the time being and maybe go up to the lakes um, yes, so I am very, very much looking forward to the summer um, and I will go to the lakes or I'll go to the Yorkshire Dales because mm. I haven't been to the Yorkshire Dales for a while. And you can do some nice big, long, hecky walks. Um, so I fancy going up um, perhaps Wormside or something like that, going around Ingleton, that area. So definitely. But, uh, you know, all being well, we're going to be able to stay safe enough for me to travel in the winter right um and i fancy going back to new zealand over the winter and going to the southern alps lovely what are you going to do there just go for some nice walks well there's a there's a couple of things one is the southern alps and walking in the southern alps there's a dark sky reserve there so um you know i like doing um stargazing i'm a bit of an amateur stargazer so that would be great um, and I've never really explored the West Coast and Harston and Fox Glacier and places like that on, in New Zealand. So that would also be a really lovely, um, different experience as well. Oh, that just sounds divine. And I wish I was in your suitcase. But can you please send me some photos when you've been, please? Because <laughs> it just make me feel so good. It would be nice. I mean, hopefully we'll get away, but um, you just don't know at the moment in the summer. I mean, obviously winter, there's a little bit, a few more months to go. And, you know, it sounds a bit more promising, doesn't it? But, uh, oh, that all sounds amazing. Amanda, it's been so lovely to talk to you as always. But unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time together today. But thank you very much for joining me and your insights have been lovely and it's been really interesting so thank you Kaz thank you it's been absolutely wonderful thank you so much Amanda that was great and it was lovely to talk to you properly about all of your adventures if you liked Amanda's story have a look at the other stories on this podcast and like subscribe and as importantly share my podcast to your friends and family it makes a massive difference and lets other people listen whilst they walk as well. Thank you so much for listening yourself. It's been a pleasure. Take care, get some steps in, and I look forward to having you along next time. <laughs> <laughs>